Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Latin Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. Here for the Strada Bianca 2022 recap, men and women's races. Uh, but first, the men's race. 185Ks, not actually that long, but a very intense and hard race from Siena to Siena up to Piazza del Campo, a 700-meter 9% pinch at the end you'll be familiar with where MVDP attacked Alaphilippe last year. We have 11 Sterato white road gravel sections along the course, the longest being Monte Saint-Marie with about 50Ks to go. And the second longest called something Ludigiano Dasso in the middle of the <laughs> race. Uh, but we didn't have last year's winner in VDP. We didn't have 2020's winner, Wow for not here. We had no uh, no Dumoulin. A lot of riders, Pidcock, out with the stomach virus. So it was Alaphilippe and Pagacha, the two favorites for the race. But we had the man, Benji, in the break. We said he would. Taco, taco. Yes. Burrito, burrito. Taco, Certainly, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes, Taco van der Horn in the breakaway. It was rumored that Hausler was in there as well, but it didn't look like it was the second that the uh, footage started rolling. In the end, that breakaway, while they were quite a few riders, they probably weren't going to make it towards the end. The only rider I had hope in was Taco van der Horn because it's Taco. So, you know, the guy can keep on riding Nonetheless, the action really started the second that the broadcast started. Actually, like the second my broadcast started, something happened on a gravel section. And it's hard like explaining how it happened or what happened. But on the fifth sector, Luciniano Dasso, we saw basically a lot of people crashing. And I needed to slow motion picture to understand what happened and it looked like there was some kind of heavy crosswind that came from one direction and slid into the riders and as a consequence an Alpecin rider at the front started moving towards the side of the road therefore another rider got was crashing due to that Alpecin rider and a domino effect throughout the entire peloton and who are the biggest victims well Alaphilippe was uh in the field next to the road, we had the likes of Simmons, I think, a bit behind there as well. Pogacar fell over a rider, Benoit was crashed, uh, Campenards, Van Moor, Oldani, Mohoric, basically half the peloton, but quite a few DNFs came from that. But have you ever seen a crash like that ever? Uh, it reminds me of, it was something you'd almost seen in Wevelheim 2015, where uh, both there's a strong crosswind from the side and I think it was just the wind on this exposed hill versus the gravel makes it even more difficult. Once once the Alperson's wheel guy's wheel started going to the left, no chance to correct. And he just plows straight into Alaphilippe, who was already unclipped in the gutter because he was getting buffeted by the wind. So terrible luck for Alaphilippe and for Lotto, really, because head-to-head Wellens 
is not on the level of Pagatra and Alphilippe, and I thought they were going to play the Campanarts card up the road with numbers uh, in the middle of the race, and he was out. Benoit for Yumbo out. So this really, really affected the race, namely because Alaphilippe, one of the top two favourites, is now chasing for, he, I think the biggest gap was a minute 50. He went down really hard, somersaulted over the front of his bike, lucky not to be injured, hope he's okay. And we have a group with Pagacha ahead. And Seri Benji, even pacing for Israel for a little bit, while Street Stavenines wasn't. Yeah, it seemed like Osgain was probably trying to come back in the group behind that, but I didn't get it. I really didn't get why City was pacing. Davinance being in the group, two quick step riders, you don't pace in that case. Definitely if Alaphilippe is behind, but perhaps he was keeping the tempo in it, but I don't know why he would try and do that because your rider is behind, your leaders, both of them. Osgain wasn't there either in the group yet, but the thing about Pogacar is he came back so swiftly. After the crash, that Peloton group was like seven riders, including the likes of Fulsang, who was still left, and Wellens, who also got around the crash relatively uh, easily, I would dare to say. And yeah, th- that was not a group that I would say, oh, this group is going to keep on pacing. But like you say, City pacing was an odd move, quite certainly. Gradually, riders came back. It was Philippe though, who had to, I think he had to change bike or something because he was being paced by Honoré a minute 30 behind. Lotto began to pace. It was a difficult effort. It reminded me, Benji, of what was the Umbo Visma race with Wout Van Aert where he had to come back like three times or like in the middle of the race after a puncture puncture last year. No, no, E3 or something. It ruined his race. Um, If you get brought back in the middle of the race like that, even if you come back, how much does it cost Alaphilippe? How much is he banged up from the crash? But he eventually did come back. No one really – well, Pagacha doesn't really – he had no team to pace for him, <laughs> for starters, to increase the pace. And Lotto also had no Campanas or Van Moor. So it's kind of Israel, but then Fulsang couldn't do anything. Clark's their leader. Alaphilippe eventually came back. There was a lull, which was good. Uh, I was like, okay, Alaphilippe's going to recover. 20-minute lull. Lull or lull? Marie. Talk about this gravel section, Benji, and why it's so decisive in this race. Well, basically, the initial part of that gravel section is not necessarily the Monte Santa Maria climb. It's a up and down a bit. And then the proper climb starts, which is 1K at 10.3%, the steepest part of this gravel section. And that's where we saw the race open up the last two years. We saw Fanat hammering down in previous years, Vanderpool hammering down in previous years. And that section, honestly kind of blows up the race in every single edition of the last two at least we've had a few editions before that where it didn't really affect the race as much but recently that's the climax of the race that opens up everything really so i was expecting something to happen there but with the effect of the crash happening i didn't know which teams had the energy to do something because we expected in our preview to be lotto (laughs) and they lost two of their riders so uh, I saw two riders of them, and they seem to be moving to the front again before the Monte Santibari section. So it looks like for Wellens, they were still trying to use that plan they probably had to hammer the Santa Maria a bit and try and have an effect there. But once the first rider of Lotto is done, it is honestly up to Wellens already. And then you see that Alaphilippe is riding next to him already, that Pogacar is on the other side, and that it's basically already a leader versus leader, mano a mano on this Monte Santa Maria section. And that's when Alaphilippe started going to the front end, put a bit of a a pressure on the group. And 
at first, it looked like he was gapping Wellens, and the rider that came past Wellens to close that down in a relatively easy tempo was Pogacar. He basically slipped to the wheel of uh, of Alaphilippe without too much trouble, and the second that Alaphilippe stopped doing that, it was Pogacar that went on the left side of the road on the climb, and that attack was not final. That attack was not final. The others were able to come back as they came towards the top of a hill, and at that point, I thought, I thought okay, we've got a we've got a, a smaller group. This is kind of like last year. We had seven riders last year. Unfortunately, no goggle this year because he had already abandoned at this point in the race. But it's still a group that could make it relatively far. But it didn't have that same feeling as last year where it was like, oh, seven riders and then a huge gap. It felt like it was just riders behind each other with a few gaps in between. And to be honest, it took until the descent to make a decisive move, right? Yeah, because Alaphilippe's attack reminded me of his Amstel Kalberg attack last year, where I swear Alaphilippe attacks sometimes when he doesn't know what his legs are like. And he's like, <laughs> let's see if they're good. And he did, just didn't get that separation or snap. We had Clark, Simmons, Valverde, Wellens there, as Ben, you said, all the leaders there, maybe even Coos was hanging around. Yep. Simon Clark on the front entering this steep descent section and Pagacha comes around the outside of him. No one really sighted him and just slams this descent. Full gas, on the limit, bike moving everywhere, chasing the moto, and he gets a five-second, seven-second gap straight away, and it's crazy seeing the back-to-back Tour de France winner, the favourite for the Tour this year, Grand Tour contender, just going full gas, pedal to the metal on a gravel descent with 50Ks to go in Strada, and Alphilippe didn't respond. He just attacked. Clark couldn't respond. Like, not – it's just there's no Wout Van Aert and here. Peacock's not here, and it already looked like guys were already a bit on the limit. Asgren had been pacing a bit for Alaphilippe, who came into his own later in the race, and very, very quickly – as Pagacha gets on to the next part of Montesamari. Rodriguez. Yeah. He only has, well, didn't you remove that designation from him, Benji? Isn't that Christian Rodriguez uh, now? <laughs> I've never formally actually acknowledged who the actual Rodriguez is. I'm just betting on two horses right now, hoping that they both don't notice. So for now, <laughs> they're both Rodriguez until someone calls me out on it. I just did. I just did. I think we should. I think we should go with the Ineos one. I think the Ineos Rodriguez is the better one. Um, <laughs> I think so as well in the future. But yeah, what did you think of that move from him? Like uh, commentators are talking about. It. It's an interesting point. He's dangling 18 seconds behind Pagacha. Pagacha's got 30 seconds on the peloton, quote unquote. It's like 10 guys. Alaphilippe pacing for Asgren. <laughs> what? I guess there's two mindsets. If he wants to win, he has to chase Pogaccia. If he wants the podium, he should sit up for the group. Yeah, I agree. But on the other hand, he's a young guy. He probably doesn't have the experience to think about this himself at that point in the race. Sure, some riders will be able to say, oh, I should I should better wait to be able to do this. But on the other hand, the exposure of him being in second in that race, in a race like Strade, is huge for getting people to like him as a cyclist. And... I think that also does quite a bit. That's probably not the thought process he had, but I would I would love this guy a lot more if he just keeps riding 20 to 30k in second position in between the two groups and he's on camera all the time trying his best to hold on to a little bit of a gap between him and Pogacha and 
he actually did that. So I, I like that aspect. Yes, it's not the most tactical idea. Sure, it was probably better to be able to uh, to drop back and then go from there. But on the other hand, they had Narvaez in the group behind. Perhaps they were thinking, let's let the other people chase down uh, Rodriguez first and then try something with Narvaez for the podium. At this point, I promptly hopped on Zwift, our show partner, because <laughs> I thought this was a wrap. I thought it was yeah. done. I was like, only one man can stop Pagacha at this point, and it's me. So I need to get Rocky <laughs> Mode, insert Zwift training montage. Um, I need to get started doing 125 watts for 40 minutes watching the finale of this race. But if you want to uh, check out a, a Zwift event, Cancellara was a triple winner of Strada Bianca, and if today has you in the mood for channeling your inner Spartacus, Zwift have a chasing Cancellara ride over next weekend. You unlock a jersey for completing either stage. So make sure you check that out from our show partner, Zwift. The gatch is gone. The group is a minute at a minute 30. Rodriguez is at 45, 50 seconds. Pagacha appears to be bleeding from the, his back, I think, where he landed maybe. His radio's cut him or there's some sort of abrasion. He's got a cut in his left elbow. He's looking good only – and let's cut to the chase. This, I thought this race was a wrap, and it was. Pagacha solos, <laughs> 50 Ks to the finish. He started to have some back discomfort in the last 15 kilometers. The closest the gap got down to was 50 seconds when Asgren started pacing a group with Wellens, Narvaez, Simmons, and Valverde. Valverde refused to contribute because he, Valverde's been saying for two years, he doesn't ride for the win. He said in Liège last year, he let it out because he thought he might get third. So he's not riding for the win, didn't contribute. Asgren attacks him. Valverde teleports to him. Whatever. Race is over. <laughs> Pog wins. First Tour de France winner to win Strada Bianca, I think. Uh, I'll just read up top 10. Valverde beats Asgren after bridging him and sitting on him <laughs> for second. Asgren third. Benji's Volta proving me wrong. Yeah. In fourth. Bilbao fifth. I knew he'd have top 10s. Narvaez sixth. Simmons seventh. Wellens eighth. Simone Patelli for Intermarche ninth. And Aguita tenth. Uh, but it's all about Pog Benji. I, what do you say to the people, a bit like me, who are like, that top 10, it ain't Pidcock, Wafana, MVDP. I would say still a 50K solo is mental, no, no matter who's behind. Yeah, certainly. Like, I feel like races with a, a lesser start list aren't necessarily worse races. It depends on how the race is ridden, and that's delivered once again. Pogacar probably fought 50k from the line. Oh, I'm cold. If, uh, in the same way that uh, Vanderpool did last year in Tireno and said, I'll go ahead and attack right now. And in all honesty, like, the way he did it is magnificent. Like, being able to attack, being able to keep for 50 kilometers, because we saw in that 50k solo at Costa Fidardo by Vanderpool, towards the end he was really having trouble. Yes, the gap went down here once again as well with Pogacar, but the guy was riding solo for 50k. Now, yeah, I think it's as simple as that. Pogacar was the best rider on the road today by quite a bit, and sure, the riders behind are not terrible either, like an Osgren, winner of RVV last year. Yes, last week he wasn't the most impressive Osgren yet, but he's clearly upping his form towards okay. the uh, April Classics, and he's looking good for those, quite certainly. Attila Walter, uh, he actually, uh, like you said, attacked away on the uh, latter, uh, I think it was Letolfe section, from the Peloton group to the group of like uh, 
Wellens and so forth, and then ended up getting that fourth spot. Ex-mountain biker, I think that's where he's got his gravel skills, and as a consequence, was pretty good here. On that note, I will take a look where Milan Vader ended. 50th, okay, on 8 minutes 23. I was hoping for a bit better, <laughs> personally. I would say, tactically, we keep seeing long solos working. And we can't. I can't see Pagatch's data, I can't see Asgren's data. But where he attacked, for starters, he gets 5, 10 seconds based on Clark not reacting. Straight away on the descent, immediately. Secondly, no one behind him had a domestique at that point, and Asgren and Alaphilippe hadn't figured out who was the leader, and Alaphilippe eventually paced after a while. That's the second thing that helps. Third thing, let's be honest, the motorbikes... They consistently yeah. give guys going solo an advantage. Like they are so close. You've got one front, one behind, Bert Block and studying it. They make a real difference, the motorbikes. Fourthly, Pagasha loves to do his own pace at his threshold on the longest climb of the day, solo, whilst everyone's having to chase behind because he's probably the best on the longest climb and he gets to go do the climb himself. And fifthly, Trusting in the lack of group dynamics behind is something we can almost guarantee every time. And yep. even if it's not in their favor, like it's different, Benji. Liège, uh, in the final, after the final climb, the group of five, when Valverde refuses to pull, that is smart because there's nowhere to head. So safe yep. for the sprint. Now, going in front, leading out the sprint, don't know what you're thinking there, buddy. But <laughs> when there's someone ahead, I know this is rocket science and rocket science. If you don't catch the rider ahead, you can't win the race. You can't. So that's generally something ignored by chase groups. So I think tactically it was a great great way to go, but you still had other legs, like still mental, 50K solo. Um, could anyone have done anything differently, Benji? I think it's hard to criticize Quickstep without Philippe crashing that hard. Yeah, I think so. Well, except for the city pacing and so forth, that's a bit, yeah, bit of an odd thing that happened. But towards the end of the race, I think there's not much you can say about them. I enjoyed that they switched to Osgrain relatively early because it was noticeable that if the race opened up, opens up on Monte Santa Marie, it's going to be a harder race of attrition. We know that Osgrain's better on harder races of attrition than Alaphilippe is quite clearly in every race of his past. And as a consequence, Osgrain has the advantage there. And therefore, I... Uh, I love that they switched that so swiftly and that Alaphilippe uh, felt like working for Kasper on this, uh, on this ride after trying to come back himself as well. And like we're talking about those, but there's also a few people in that top 10 that I perhaps wouldn't have expected in the top 10, like a Simone Petilli, for example. Higita, like, is it the weather that is making him shit at these hilly races? Because in the rain, he's not good at them. And in the sun, he's amazing at them. I don't know. Maybe the debate we're about to have after the women's recap, it's because Strata shouldn't be a monument, but we'll get to that. <laughs> hold that thought, hold that thought. That was a men's race. Incredible from Bagaccia. We'll see him at Torino Adriatico against Jonas Wingegaard and Remco Evenepoel next week. We'll have recaps of every stage. That will be unbelievably good. We have Paranese, obviously, tomorrow with uh, the most stacked start list apart from Pagacha there. So two incredible stage races coming up. But hopefully Pagacha's recovered, Benji, because he did. Like he might, he might pull up tomorrow morning fucked and be like, my back is crook. So hopefully he's all right for Torino because that would be a shame. Anyway, women's race was 
the better race of the day. 136 kilometers long. They have the same run in just about with La Tolfe, the last gravel sector, and then the same climb to Siena. They also have, I think, with about 77 k's to go, the longest gravel, or 77 k's done, the longest gravel section. There is a long road section in the middle of this race. And that's why Benji, we saw with 38 k's to go. Big group, SD Works kind of controlling, Bastianelli and UAE trying to do something with Erika uh, Magnaldi and Live Racing are also trying to attack. I think that was their only option. But, yeah, it was really with, like, if you were SD Works or would you have over, how would you have reacted to AVV destroying Volering last week? I think you have to run it back with the same tactics and just say she was too good. Yeah, I think so as well. And like when we analyze the parkour of Strade Bianche, we know that it's the harder climbs where AVV can do her damage on week van Vleuten. And that's where these other teams need to make sure they can get a bit of an advantage by either sending someone up front before those sections to make sure they've got someone with AVV if she goes hammering up those hills. Or later on, for example, by numerically rolling over her with attacks in the sections between climbs and so forth and trying to get benefits there but for now like you said at this point in the race it were the teams that are not the highly represented ones bike exchange fdg live uae that were making the moves and his works was indeed controlling it then came towards like the 24 kilometer from the finish line uh Stirado section monte aparti and we had uh van vleuten doing the work herself there uh, she was moving towards the front when that Stirado section started, and she started hammering it from the bottom towards uh, the middle part of that. And I was scared. I was scared, okay, please, <laughs> AVV, don't attack away at this point. We need an interesting race for the next 24 kilometers. And fortunately, Kopeka was able to follow our wheel quite well there. We saw that the group actually stayed quite together in the wheel of Annemiek van Vleuten. Paladin went for a move on the left side of the road, fins out the group again, doesn't get away though, and it kind of took until... Two kilometers later, where we saw a move by SD Works on not a Stirado section. It was Demi Volring that was trying to make a move on an asphalt uphill section. And it once again thinned out the group to 20 to 15 riders. And that's where a move came that I thought, okay, this one actually looks pretty good. It was Lotte Kopecky on the side of the road and she actually got a bit of a gap. And it looked like Grace Brown was willing to respond instantly, but then she was taking her beat on or putting her beat on back and then her chain had an issue when she was trying to attack towards Kopecky and therefore she kind of made that move and then fell back to the group again but Kopecky had a bit of a, a gap there moving on to the Kole Pinzuto. Did you expect that move to be an advantage for SD Works by having a rider ahead for the gravel sections to come? Yes but I think what they wanted to happen which is then Lurton having to chase didn't because Cash Please, Navidoma, if if AVV is in the group with you, never work. It is not your responsibility to close <laughs> down SD Works attacks ever. And she was helping bring that group back, and eventually Kopecky was brought back. AVV did have to do some work, but SD Works had numbers still. Kopecky, Mulman Pazio looks strong, uh, and Demi Vollering. Chantal Vanderbrook Black was a little bit off. Vollering and Chantal Vandenbroek-Black didn't look stronger than Mulman Pazio. Voss, 
was getting dropped on the steeper gravel climbs, but she was clinging on. Grace Brown eventually seemed to start riding, I think, for uh, Cecilia Utrebludwig, and the group started to swell Benji. SD Works didn't throw riders up the road. Now, they tried a few little things in the last 20Ks on uphills. I would argue, if you want to attack AVV, the descent when she's behind a wheel is the best place to put her under pressure there. But anyway... The group swelled. It got to like 15, 20 riders almost, Benji, with multiple riders. At least Shabby attacked for Canyon Shram, and that almost put Nivea Doma off the back. I think Nivea Doma had attacked on a rise. Um, what did you think was the – like did you think SD Works would attack? I actually was really surprised that the group was so large and was just happy almost to ride to the finish, or do you think they realized, eh, Voss – doesn't have it today, and AVV was also just happy to try a luck on the final climb. I think SD Works was combining two different things. First of all, sometimes Volering was pacing for the others, so it was pretty clear that Volering was not going to be the one being the leader for that squad at that point in the race. And when it comes to the others, we saw Vonnebrook Black, just like last year, trying to get away in the same way she did last year, attacking between the climbs, get a bit of an advantage, try and get one rider with her and see if that can offer up a gap. But it was basically always one rider following and then Von Vleuten getting towards that wheel. A few riders following, Von Vleuten closing that down as well. And Von Vleuten was reacting on quite a few things. And then we know that the only like proper gravel section coming up is the one that fits Von Vleuten, which is the Latolfe climb. It's that longer but quite steep section with 30k to go and i was thinking if we get to that section then von vleuten is going to uh smash up that hill and hopefully someone can follow and they didn't really necessarily try enough attacking i would dare to say before we got to that section with sd works perhaps they had the confidence that one of their riders could follow on latolfi and they came to that section it's got this bit of a descent section before it starts ramping up quite steeply and von vleuten smashed up latolfi as simple as that and initially it looked like she was going to drop everybody and then volring came to the front and rode next to her and a bit past her but then completely imploded so <laughs> volring completely out of the picture there then on the other side of the road we saw that kopecki is the only one at that point that's able to follow von vleuten's wheel and i'm like oh belgian flag out singing the uh, national anthem already at that point. This is it. This is Kopecki's rise to power. And I thought at some point she's going to break here in this Wheel of Van Vleuten. Did you have high hopes here on the middle of the Latolfe climb for Kopecki? Yeah, I thought Kopecki would make it over. I thought she'd then get dropped on the final climb, but that's still, I thought she could make it over and she did. And then she sat in the wheel of AVV and even offered her a pull. But the collaboration or... I don't know, AVV didn't ride full like last week in Omloop because they actually got caught after Latolfe by the big group again and they started to get countered by Mulman Pazio, uh, Shirin Van Androy as well. Grace Brown was there. Nuvia Doma tried again uh, and they're pretty much coming into the Via Santa Catarina as a huge group despite – like that's very rare. In these races that AVV lights up the toll face sort of climb with 10Ks to go, 13Ks to go, and that gets caught. Uh, so I don't know why that happened, frankly, because Kopecky was offering her a little bit, but maybe not full. And it was AVV from the base. Not even when they turned, they did a little 
zigzag from the base almost <laughs> from 700 meters to go. Rode this climb at a consistent pace, no attack, just hard with Kopecky in the wheel, with Mulman there, and Kopecky's in the wheel. And I'm like, she's going to crack. She's going to crack. I thought 100% she was going to crack. The gap opened up a little bit. And you remember, if you make it over the top, it's very narrow and twisting in a descent in the last 400, 300 meters. Rarely does the rider who makes it over the top get caught. And Kopecky hung on. And they did this climb hot up to the piazza. They did it in like 128, eight seconds faster than, no, slower than MVDP last year. They did this climb seven seconds faster than Pagacha because AVV did a consistent hard pace from the base and Kopecky just hung on enough. She then closed. I remember Cancellara had a, a wonderful battle one year over the top in the descent section. She got around AVV and once you have first wheel, if you're a smart rider, which Kopecky is, you should be winning this race on the descent. She took the last corner and made sure she went barrier to barrier, apex to the far barrier. AVV tried to come underneath and there was no gap and Kopecky wins this race. A huge win for Kopecky beating almost imperious Van Vluten last week with Mulman third, Nividoma fourth, then Ludwig Shabby, Voss, Longoborghini, Shin Van Anroy and Persico, sorry, 10th. I could, what a win for Kopecky Benji. I think she's on. Yeah, quite certainly. And it's not as simple as what a win for Quebec. I think this is huge for Belgian women cycling as well because we've kind of had trouble kicking through the, the ceiling in women's cycling as Belgium. And this is like the one big classic victory now that could be the start of new riders getting expire, inspired to start becoming, becoming a pro rider, stuff like that. New, uh, new riders breaking through as well. Kopecky getting a, a breakthrough in her own career where she can start winning these classics. So really impressive that way. And in all honesty, I did not believe that would happen. On the Santa Catarina that she would keep the wheel off on Vleuten, absolutely insane. Crazy. But hey, it happened <laughs> and congratulations because that was impressive. Like... Kopecky, uh, for once, Benji, am I allowed to? Can I pat myself on the back just a little bit? I get so much wrong. I have yep. to take a victory lap. I was high on Kopecky. I, I hope. I'm not misremembering in the SD Works preview. Um, I thought she had a lack of team support and live, team support at live, and SD Works makes a big difference. Like twice second at Gen Favelgen, third at Ronde van Vlaanderen in 2020, fourth at the Olympics road race. This is the biggest win of her career. Strade ahead of Van Vleuten. It's curious though, Benji. She can hold the wheel here, but dropped on the Bosberg or, or the Murat Omloop. Yeah, I don't, maybe, maybe it's just different. Maybe she's just better week to week. I don't, is there a theory to this? Because aren't these climbs harder? There's multiple theories. You could look at the fact that she needed to get a few races in before getting to a level that True. she can achieve this. Or you can say, oh, she's better on uh, asphalt slash gravel climbs compared to cobble climbs, but she's been pretty good on cobble climbs before, so I'm not so sure how much that theory holds up personally. So I think it's the race rhythm that's doing it. And in all honesty, she's uh, she's looking good for the likes of Tora Flanders if she can keep this form, stuff like that, for every single one of those classic races, quite certainly. And now I'm curious because... I thought you were 
memeing it when you were talking about all oh, the hill classics for Kopecky in a in our yeah. uh, preview. But <laughs> it's more and more looking like she might actually play a role in that. But are She's they longer those climbs? Okay, <laughs> I still don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think she's the trump card that SD works should try and protect over Volering because, yep. as we saw, you can't trust Volering's sprint as much and Kopecky's got a bigger kick on it. Uh, but, yeah, a very, very exciting race, something I didn't expect to see and fantastic to see the group coming together and attacks so late in the race, Kopecky taking Strada. Uh, and she's got Ronda van Drenthe next weekend. So yeah. we'll probably see that's a world tour race on the women's calendar. You will see the big guns lining up there once again. Uh, I think Novos, but uh, Elisa Bolzano, we'll see back. But yeah, anything else from the Strider women's race, Benji, before we engage in some fierce warfare? Well, okay. What did you think about uh, Von Vleuten's strategy of keeping that same tempo on the final climb? Because on one end, you could say that she was spending it across a longer period, therefore not having the acceleration. But I'd argue that she's the type of rider that never really had that super explosive acceleration, always had it from keeping up high wattage for a long amount of time on the uphill sections and therefore punishing riders. But Kopecky was just too strong to be dropped on a length like this or do you think that she should have gone for one big attack instead of trying to keep it up from the bottom <laughs> well yeah 2020 hindsight yes um i think she should have done a, a max five second effort on the steep section and been in good position behind Kopecky. i think she was getting gaps off the wheel when she attacked Kopecky on steeper gravel climbs earlier and yeah i think i mean but that's just hindsight so she did it did it in 128. She, normally, she'd be like, if I do this in 128, ain't nobody holding this wheel. So it's hard to criticize her for it. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, it's what MVP did last year, but MVP got a huge kick. Uh, but the big debate, Benji, should Strata Bianca be a monument? The only, for reference, everybody, a monument kind of is an irrelevant status instead, except for the UCI minimum prize money being a little bit higher um that's really all it means there's five monuments san remo liege lombardia ronda van vlander and, and roubaix i know you're a big strata should be a monument benji guy here's I'm a chance it? for you to stake your case yeah you are you sit in that case. are you sure about that i mean i'm not I even sure i am in that game well maybe you aren't after this race i think before you were uh, it depends for me so i have a hard time with the definition of a monument because Every single person you ask what a monument means says something different. Over the last couple of years, I heard everything from, oh, they were races that mean something for the World War, which is nothing to do with why it's called monument, most likely. Next to that, there's people that were saying, oh, it's the tradition of having a very old race that has a lot of history, that therefore also yeah, has a lot of winners in the past that were big cyclists. Other reasons is that oh, it's it's the kind of race where you don't necessarily know whether the race is going to be won in one way or the other, or by one type of rider or the other. And in certain occasions, that's true because bunchers have won Lombardia, climbers have won Lombardia. Paris Roubaix is usually won by a guy that can cobble pretty well, <laughs> unless you're in the breakaway early, but you probably need to cobble pretty well as well, Heyman style. And then if you look at RVV, it can be done by long solos or a sprint in, in the end in, in previous years as well, and 
Then we look at, for example, Milano Sanremo, perhaps the more different type of winners edition of the monuments that is there because you have sprinters that won it in the past with Oscar Freire, for example. You had surprise victories with Shiolek and Silfova, La Philippe punchers. You had riders in between sprinters and punchers like Venard, for example. You had climbers like Vincenzo Nibali who got away in that way. So basically, that's also a theory. And honestly, I don't really care that much about those theories. I think that a race should be a monument if a lot of people find it extremely popular and therefore it's becoming one of the more intriguing races in the sport and therefore the most one of the more entertaining races in the sport because I want the monuments to be the ones that are attracting the people to the sport. And I think Strada Bianchi is definitely one that does that. Does it deserve to be a monument? Perhaps not yet. Perhaps it needs a few more years to build up to tradition because it's a very young race. It like well, 10 years ago. Didn't turn up. It wasn't even called Strada Bianchi 10 years ago, right? It was Monte Pasci Eroica or something? Eroica Pasci, yeah, something like that. (laughs) Um, So it's it's like, it's lacking a few things for me yet to get to that status, but I would like monuments to be the races that get people, the one-day races that get people to watching the sport, and Strada is one of them. Last year, we saw a group with MVDP, Wout Van Aert, Bernard, Pagacha, Alaphilippe, Simmons, Goggle. And I was like, this is an incredible mix of riders, Grand Tour contenders, punchers, rulers, classics, men, unbelievable. And that's what is really exciting and any of them have a chance to win. I do think I look at this top 10 and I'm like, this is, yeah, it's not like Simone, no offense to the guy, but Simone Patelli, you know, ninth, Volta fourth. Like Mate. it's... <laughs> Oliver Zauch won in Lombardia. True, yeah. But <laughs> true, yeah. But I mean I don't know. You have Wout Van Aert and Yamba being like, I'm good, not doing it. Um I don't think it's a priority the same way Milano San Remo is. I do think monument status Great. matters to riders because it they get a different bonus. I assume you get a bigger bonus if you win MSR to Strata. On, on average if they're doing their contracts correctly. Uh, but in terms of viewership, like Dan Lloyd will know better than we do. They have the numbers. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, we get way more viewers on Strade than Lombardia. I would be shocked if that wasn't the case. So yeah. viewership and interest, if that's the determinant, then you can't say Strade can't be in. Even to, if it's all about history, um, then yeah, it won't be in. If it's about how hard it is, well, per hour, yeah, I think they, they burn, more, burn more kilojoules per hour last year than in the Tour of Flanders. Yeah, but if you look at the history theory, then not a single race done by the women can be a monument yet and, until it's like 30 years later and then it's like, True, yeah. oh, this race should be a monument now. So that that's stupid. Like It's the same issue with women's cycling where I'm like, I'm trying to figure out which races deserve a monument status. And then you come to races like Trofeo Alfredo Binda that deserve it more than some races that are monuments in men's cycling and therefore aren't necessarily old in women's cycling yet, don't have that history in that, but should deserve a monument status because they were old in men's cycling? I don't think so. Like, it's, well, it's, a, it's a marketing term. 
<laughs> it is, we'll, exactly, we'll finish with, I think you're getting to where almost I stand on this. My view is I don't care. I think as a, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm a from Australia. I'm not, I wasn't born and raised in cycling. When I hear the word monument, I'm like, what is Santos I, threw down under? Oh well, yeah, Santos, <laughs> no, Santos Festival of Cycling. If you win that, look at Luke Platt, mate. Oh, Tour de France, look out. Um, yeah, I just think it doesn't matter. I don't care. And if I was an, a rider's agent, which I'm hoping to be, uh, and I was negotiating bonuses, I would be arguing that Strade should get the same level of bonus as other races, like the monuments, because it's as hard to win. Like you look at the start list, uh, the winners list, and you need to be top level to win it, and it's huge interest for your brand, and you got the whole big tire stuff. But that's a separate discussion. End of the day, I don't care. Uh, I think it's a good race. And uh, next to that, yes, I think that rating races is annoying because it is, yeah. I feel like additions is what I always rate. Kent Wavelcam twenty twelve was amazing. Paris Roubaix twenty sixteen was amazing, except for the fact that Heyman beat Tom Bonin. That's like the bad part of that race, Shout let's be honest about it. Swift ah, better training on. than Belgium's cobbled roads. <laughs> damn, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then we look at, oh, what is it? I think there's quite a few editions of races. Like Even when talking about Tireno last year, Tireno is not amazing because that one edition was amazing. We've had very shit Tireno editions in the past. We've had very shit Paris editions. We've had very good Paris editions, like the one where we had those early stages with Demar versus Alaphilippe on those short hills and so forth. That was that was content. That was amazing, and I feel like rating editions against each other is much more meaningful than rating races because at, at the end of the day you can have a shit edition of a of a monument any day you can have a wonderful edition of a monument any day weather plays a role in that starless plays a role in that injuries play a role in that everything play a role in that and i don't really care if it gets a monument status or not stella bianca it's one of my favorite races of the year i thoroughly enjoyed my day if anyone can write in the comments the like objective meaning of monument status outside of UCI points attributed to it, which is arbitrary, then let us know. But yeah, it varies by addition. As someone who buys race rides and looks at startless very closely, <laughs> I was like, ooh, Torino last year, those would have been some good rides to have. Anyway, Strider weekend. We'll be back tomorrow with Paranese stage one. Then we'll be double-headed with Paranese Torreno next week. Incredible stage racing action. I'll have highlights of Paranese every night on my channel as well, the Lantern Rouge YouTube channel. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Zwift for being our show partner, and we'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.